Doctors have begun to discover some unnerving side effects to the disease they're calling the Wu flu, or the Kung flu, or the flu Manchu, or the Chinese communist plot to destroy America. Although some are calling it the coronavirus with complete disregard for any bigotry that may cause against Mexican beer manufacturers. What was I talking about? Oh yeah, doctors have discovered side effects of the Chinese flu. For instance, some reporters who have been covering President Donald Trump's press conferences seem to be suffering the side effect of becoming smaller and smaller until they appear as insignificant and ineffective as teensy, tiny little ants, except with human heads and big mouths that keep shouting irrelevant but wildly hostile questions in high-pitched voices that are barely even audible anymore, but just come through the television speakers like one of the songs sung by the Munchkins in The Wizard of Oz, except very dim and far away. Doctors fear if these side effects worsen, the White House press corps may disappear altogether and will have to be replaced by journalists. Another side effect of the flu is that some Americans can no longer remember any of the Democrat candidates for president. Interviewed by medical personnel, Americans now only have dim recollections of a loud, angry old man who keeps touting 19th century philosophies that have caused poverty and oppression wherever they've been tried. But these same Americans say that memory seems so absurd, it may not be a memory at all. They may only have dreamed that such a person exists while they were suffering high fevers, chills, boredom, and eye-rolling exasperation. One American interviewed by doctors said he couldn't remember who was running for president at all or what any of the issues were. But that American turned out to be Joe Biden, and he was sent home to rest up for the next debate with what's his name. Other doctors are reporting a flu side effect where sufferers lose all sense of decency. But so far, that's only affected the Speaker of the House. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is Birds are winging, also singing, Ship shaped, tipsy, topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! So the other day I was doing one of those Ask Me Anything events at the Daily Wire, you know, where people send in questions. And several people asked me what changes I thought would be wrought in society by the Chinese flu crisis. And the truth is, I have no idea if there'll be any changes or what they'd be if there are any. But the question did set me to thinking about what I'd like to see happen. For instance, a lot of students have been taking their classes online during the lockdown. That could bring about some educational improvements. College obviously has become a cesspit of socialist and diversity garbage, and that garbage is spreading from classrooms out into what we laughingly call the real world. I'd like to see smaller, better colleges like Hillsdale with better values be able to compete with large institutions through online classes. It'd be better, I think, if more people could take classes at Hillsdale than they do at some of the universities working today. I think the press has been behaving in a shamefully corrupt and one-sided manner for a long time, and I think Trump's daily press briefings are maybe bringing that to light a little more than usual. CNN is actually cutting away from any news they don't like, and NBC says they want to stop covering the briefings altogether because they're making Trump popular. I hope they do stop covering them so viewers move on to better venues. It would be great. Truly, if people finally got wise to guys like NBC News chairman Andy Lack, who relentlessly sells leftism and feminism under the guise of news while covering up for rapists like Harvey Weinstein and abusers like Matt Lauer. Lack has never been a reporter. He doesn't know anything about journalism. He's just selling a philosophy and he's doing it in a very dishonest way. And it would be nice if it weren't it would be nice if it weren't just conservatives, but also liberals 
who wanted a fair press. I think that would be helpful to both sides. As I've said too many times already, it'd be nice if some women discovered that they'd been lied to and that motherhood and homemaking are actually a lot more significant and rewarding than virtually any out of the home job you can have. I want individuals of the female persuasion to have free choice, obviously, but I think they've been propagandized out of their best choice. And no, speaking generally, I don't think men are as good at motherhood and homemaking just to save you the trouble of asking in a gotcha tone. The futurist writer Yuval Harari makes an interesting point about evolution. He points out that evolution favors life, but not necessarily good life. For instance, animals that people like to eat, cows and pigs and chickens, thrive in terms of survival because we, people, keep them alive. But we don't always treat them very well, so they survive, but their lives suck, and then we eat them. Harari points out that that can happen to humans, too, that a way of life that helps us survive can be chosen by evolution over a way of life that is good or moral. I actually think that has been happening to us recently. I think globalism may be good for human survival, and working women may be good for human survival, and maybe even abortion, infanticide, and babies raised by strangers may be good for human survival. And I think humans can survive and even thrive physically, and yet become spiritually empty, moral monsters with no hearts or souls. And I've sometimes been afraid that was exactly what was happening to the world. And once it happens, by the way, you won't even be aware of it. You'll just think it's progress. Even conservatives will defend it once it actually goes through. It would be nice if this crisis made us pause a moment and ask ourselves not how we can survive and get rich, but how we can live and become more human, closer to God who made us and to the people he made us to be. As the old joke goes, I can dream, can't I? All right, you know, you're sitting home. We got to say a, ha a thank you to all the people who are delivering stuff because I know it's dangerous. I know they're working because they need the dough, but they're doing a great job. I know we're depending on them here. Uh, people bringing us, you know, food and books and all the things that we need and medicine, all the things that we need are really doing a great job. And it would be great if they were bringing you some stuff from Bespoke Post because Bespoke Post sends guys only the best stuff and they send it every month. So whether you're looking to commemorate an occasion with a champagne saber, we all need a champagne saber, or toast perfectly aged winter cocktails, Box of Awesome, awesome, Box of Awesome from Bespoke Post has you covered from style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear. Box of Awesome has carefully built collections from every part of your life. I got a really nice dop kit from them. I've been using it all the time. To get started, what you do is you take a quiz at boxofawesome.com and your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel any time. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code CLAVEN at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code CLAVEN for 20% off off your first box, which actually contains the secret on how to spell Claven, which you're going to need. <laughs> Speaking of Claven, I will be on All Access uh, Live tonight at 5 o'clock California time or whatever o'clock that is your time. I guess it's 8 o'clock if you're on the East Coast, but who cares? Come on. I mean, this is this is where it's all happening. Uh, this is All Access Live. It's a lot more relaxed than our normal programming. You, if you are a subscriber, you can ask questions and I will answer them while I'm talking. Uh, and I would love to hear from you. I really would. So please come on. Uh, this is less focused on bringing you news and information. It's more about sitting down with you at the end of a long day and just not being so isolated so we can all uh, talk together. We've been getting a lot of amazing messages 
messages from our Daily Wire community during these trying times, and we can see that they're coming from a positive, heartfelt place. I think these live streams are great for not just for our viewers, but for us over here as well. They really are, I'm, I'm telling you. Uh, so thank you for that. And the show is intended for our all-access members, but during this national emergency and time of isolation, we've opened it up to all our members, and in doing so, we've accelerated the launch. So please let us know what you think of it. That's at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. I will be there uh, tonight. Uh, you know, I've been, I always tell you that you get tomorrow's news today here, you know, and it is really interesting. The epidemiologist, epidemiologist who put out that, uh, that highly cited report uh, from the Imperial College in London. This was the report that made everybody panic and shut everything down. Uh, There's a guy named Neil Ferguson. He has drastically revised his numbers. Uh, he was saying that uh, there would be 2.2 million dead from the flu in the United States, 500,000 in the UK. He has toned that down immensely. He now says uh, that in the UK, it'll be 20,000 or far fewer people. And a lot of those people uh, would have been dead by the end of the year anyway, because they're old. Those were the kinds of numbers I told you my friend was sending to me. That is very much online with those numbers. Uh, so you heard it here first. I mean, look, I think this is a really uh, important term because this is the thing. This is when London, before London locked down, uh, they were saying, you know, we'll let young people go out and get infected uh, so that they'll develop immunities. And then they got this report from the Imperial College and they went nuts and they said, oh, that's not going to work. So right now it's looking like things may be a lot less bad than people said they were. You heard it here first. You always hear everything here first. That is what we're here for. All right. So let's talk about what's going on in the news. Uh, there's a $2 trillion relief package now that's been uh, voted on by uh, the Senate. Uh, it got, I think, everybody 96 to 0 voted on it, so you can bet it is lousy. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, the thing is, you know, it's funny. I love the way people report about this. They get shocked. They're shocked that people have loaded garbage into this. I think there's 25 million bucks in here for the uh, the Kennedy Center. Uh, that's really something we really need. Um, it's the Kennedy Center for the Arts in Washington. This is all Pelosi. Pelosi did all of this. Lindsey Graham is being his typical realistic self. He says he can stand some bad stuff uh, to get the good stuff, which is help for the unemployed and for businesses, which is very important, and for the economy. Here's Graham talking. There's a lot of good in this bill. I'm going to vote for it. There are medical supplies that nurses and doctors and hospitals need. Mnuchin's done a good job very much trying to keep the Democrats from putting their Green New Deal into the bill. But here's what we've done. In the name of doing good, we're going to make it hard for the next four months for employers to find workers, and we're going to incentivize people to leave the workforce because the first time in my lifetime, America will pay you more not to work than work. I can tolerate some bad to do some good. I'm, I've made deals. I know what it's like to negotiate with the other side. But really, do we need to be giving PBS more money now when people are dying? So, you know, obviously this is true, but, I, you know, I want to talk about this for a minute. I was talking about the press uh, in the opening when I was saying things I'd like to see change. Now, obviously, I hit the press a lot, but I hit the press a lot because I think it is, is the problem. I think the press is the problem. It, when you talk about the divisions in America, I think it's the press and the entertainment industry, all the communications industries, uh, things that I've been in, I've been involved in every part of it. I've been a journalist. I've been a reporter. I've been a broadcaster. I've been a, a, a writer. I've been in the movie business. I've been in the publishing business. I've been in every aspect of it. Every aspect of it is riddled 
not just with leftists, but with leftism. And it's and leftism has gone off the rails because when people are surrounded by people they agree with, they become more and more radicalized. And that's what's happening by blacklisting people like me, by blacklisting people who disagree, by keeping people out. They are able to convince themselves that we're not just wrong, we're evil. And that has become this kind of atmosphere that they swim in. And it's now Send it has now sent the Democrats into purgatory. I mean, think for just think for a minute about the first three years of Donald Trump's candidacy and put aside my objections to Donald Trump, my problems with him, put aside any objections you might have to Donald Trump. For three years, we got Russia, Russia, Russia. You know, there are almost as many Russian Americans in uh, America as there are Chinese Americans, over three million in both cases. Why didn't we ever hear anybody say, oh, you know, by all this Russia, Russia talk, we're going to create bigotry against Russian Americans. We didn't hear it because the press and the Democrats colluded to put forward a narrative that has now been shown to be completely empty. You don't even hear about it anymore. Nobody's even talking about it anymore. The indictments that Mueller sent out, remember, I told you at the time that they were phony. The indictments that they sent out against the Russians, they're being thrown out of court because they're nonsense. The Russians didn't spend anywhere near uh, what Michael Bloomberg spent on his campaign, and Michael Bloomberg got six votes, and the Russians didn't have any effect on the... uh, on the elections, it was all nonsense. And that all of that, all of that has left the is because the Democrats are in this bubble that they've created, that leftism has created, and it's bad for them because now we see them. As I keep saying, we see you Democrats, and I think it's bad for them. I think it's bad for Nancy Pelosi. I think Nancy Pelosi is a talented politician who has made mistake after mistake after mistake. The impeachment, a mistake, this nonsense, putting garbage into a bill that people that sends needed relief to people, a mistake. Why is she making a mistake? Because she's in this bubble. And it goes beyond that. You know, you know how much I like this guy, Walter Russell Mead. He wrote an article saying, well, it, I, I want to read part of this and I'll talk about it as I'm reading it. But it's, it's worth it because it's so insightful and it's so incisive. He says, one reason Mr. Trump's opponents have had such a hard time damaging his connection with voters is that they still don't understand why so many Americans want a wrecking ball presidency. The majority of the electorate is this deeply alienated from the establishment can't be dismissed as bigotry and ignorance. That's the deplorable line. That was Hillary Clinton. Why did she say that? Because she's surrounded by people who agree with her and she never has to listen to me or Ben or Michael Knowles or any of these people. She never listens to those. They're alternative media. Instead of having to having to face those questions on CBS, ABC, and NBC, where Andy Lack is covering up for Harvey Weinstein while he covers up for Matt Lauer, while he covers up for Hillary Clinton. They don't have to face those questions, so they don't know. Of course they think we're deplorable. Why else on earth could we be opposing them when everyone around them agrees with them? So he goes on and he says, look, there are solid, he says, of the, the people who are rebelling, who want Donald Trump, he says, there are solid and serious grounds, this is a meet again, for doubting the competence and wisdom of America's self-proclaimed expert class. What is so intelligent and enlightened, popul- populists ask, about a foreign policy establishment that failed to perceive that U.S. trade policies were promoting the rise of a hostile communist superpower with the ability to disrupt supplies of essential goods in a national emergency, Right. Who was talking about this? 
Who was saying China, China? It was mean, orange man bad, was saying China, China, China. When he was dealing with them, the Wall Street Journal, a conservative paper and a good paper, was saying, oh, the trade wars, the trade wars, because they want their pocketbooks to look good now. And they're not thinking about the future. And they're not thinking about a a situation like we're in now, where suddenly we need medicines. And who's making the medicines? The same people who started the disease and the same people who want to destroy us. What competence, says Meade, what competence have the military and political establishments shown in almost two decades of tactical success and strategic impotence in Afghanistan? Again, who's been talking about this? The Donald. President the Donald has been talking about it. And people say, oh, you know, you're blowing smoke up, you know, Donald Trump's behind because you love him so much. I don't. You know I don't. I'm just saying it took somebody from outside. It took a fixer. It took a guy who doesn't care what the press calls him, who doesn't, who has a tough skin to say what People should have known, but they don't know because they're surrounded by people who disagree with them. More mead. What came of that intervention in in Libya? That was from Hillary, right? What was the net result of all the fine talk in the Bush and Obama administrations about building democracy in the Middle East on domestic policy? The criticism is equally trenchant and deeply felt. Many voters believe that the U.S. establishment has produced a healthcare system that is neither affordable nor universal. Higher education saddles students with increasing debt while leaving many graduates woefully unprepared for good jobs in the real world. I don't know why he would say you're not prepared for a good job with the real world if you've done gender studies, you know, what else, what, you know, that's a great, you can get a great job uh, teaching gender studies to some other fool. The centrist establishment, he goes on, has amassed unprecedented deficits without keeping roads, bridges, and pipes in good repair. And this is the right, and here's a place where you got to fault Donald Trump, because this is the right as well as the left. There's no, you know, Trump is such a, uh, a populist animal that the, the people are never going to want to pay off the debt. They're never going to want to cut entitlements. Somebody has to do this. And that's why the conservatives were so wrong to dump Paul Ryan. They were so wrong to diss him because of his uh, immigration stances. He was the one guy who stood up and talked about this. He was too much of a gentleman and he got screwed by us, by us. We're the ones who are at fault for this because the Democrats will never care about the debt. The Democrats, are ne- they don't even understand the economy, so they're never going to care about this. The culture of social promotion. This is meat again. This is such a good column. Uh, the culture of social promotion and participation trophies is not populist field confined to U.S. kindergartens and elementary schools. Judging by performance, they conclude that people rise in the American establishment by relentless virtue signaling, by going along with conventional wisdom, however foolish, and by forgiving the failures of others and having their own failures overlooked in return. He says the blame game playing out over how the president has handled the coronavirus epidemic affects the dynamics of the struggle. And he says, Mr. Trump, he says, Mr. Trump deserves, he's not a Trump fan. He says he deserves a lot of the criticism for how he handled this in the beginning. He says, however, Mr. Trump's supporters, and this describes me exactly, Mr. Trump's supporters are not comparing him with an omniscient leader who always does the right thing. We're comparing him with the establishment, including the bulk of the mainstream media that largely backed a policy of engagement with China long after its pitfalls became clear. Mr. Trump's errors pale before those of the bipartisan American foreign policy consensus. You know, all my life, even when I was a kid, when I was in college and I was first reading Plato, and I, I used to laugh at how Socrates would always say that, you know, Plato and Socrates would always say, the highest thing you can do is be a philosopher. <laughs> yeah, the highest thing you can do is whatever you're doing, you know? If you are not being criticized, 
If you don't have doubt, if you don't rethink your positions all the time because people are challenging your positions all the time, if you haven't got the capacity to say, maybe I'm wrong, then you will not be thinking clearly and you will just get more and more and more wrong. We have seen the left go down this road. We've gone this down this road in terms of debt. It is the problem and it is why Donald Trump, a wrecking ball, was absolutely required and is required right now. All right. You know, sitting around in your room, uh, you know, all by your lonesome, you're online all the time. And I know what you're looking at and it's disgusting. And I (laughs) I think you should know (laughs) because I'm watching you guys. I am watching. I've got look, I've got my eyes on you and I know what you're looking at. And your Internet service provider, Comcast or Verizon, they know they know every site you're going to. And what is worse is they can sell that information to ad companies and tech giants who will use your data to target you. That's why you're getting all those ads for furry costumes. Uh, ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the Internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. ExpressVPN works on everything, phones, laptops, even routers, so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected even if they don't have ExpressVPN. And the best part is using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing the bathroom door. That's in the copy. I I would never have said that, but it is easy. You download it in a second. It works behind the scenes. It's great. So if you're like me and believe your online activity is your business and mine really has to be protected, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash Clavin today. Use my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Clavin, and you can get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash Clavin. Do you do not want anyone else to find out how you spell Clavin? You gave it away. You gave it away. What is wrong with you? All right. So, you know, this thing about the press cutting off the Democrats, like I said, bad for the Democrats. And it is hilarious to see some of the stuff that's happening now, because now people are watching Trump every day and they're finding out, oh, he's not as bad as, as the press has been telling us all this time. So, you know, Trump said he he would like it if we could open America by Christmas, uh, by Christmas, by Easter. Uh, Oh, please, not by Christmas. Uh, Open America by Easter. He said that would be a great thing. So, of course, the New York Times, absolute panic. Trump wants to reopen America. Here's what happens if we do. President Trump, this is the New York Times. President Trump says he wants the United States raring to go in two and a half weeks on Easter with with packed churches all over our country. Now, what Trump said, remember, is he said it would be beautiful if there were packed churches, if there could be packed churches uh, over uh, on Easter. But obviously he's telling people, he said, I'm not going to do anything rash. Do we have that clip? Yes, clip 21. We'll be speaking to everybody. I'm not going to do anything rash or hastily. I don't do that. But the country wants to get back to work. Our country was built to get back to work. We don't have the, a country where they say, hey, let's close it down for two years. We can't do that. It's not our country. So we're going to be talking, and it could be we'll do sections of our country. There's big sections of our country that are very, you know, little affected by what's taken place. Then there are other sections that are very heavily affected. So there's a big difference. And, and the doctor, uh, Dr. Uh, Burks, her name is, um, 
she was saying that like the, the numbers are just overblown. The numbers of deaths are just overblown. And now we're seeing this coming through. I've been telling you, my friend has been saying this. He's been sending me these uh, computer models and math that he does. Uh, and now she is uh, confirming this as well. The numbers that have been put out there are actually very frightening to people. But I can tell you, if you go back and look at Wuhan and Hubei and all of these provinces, when they talk about 60,000 people being infected, even if you said, oh, right, well, there's asymptomatics and all of that, so you get to 600,000 people out of 80 million. That is nowhere close to the numbers that you see people putting out there. I think it has frightened the American people. I think on a freely on a model that you just run full out, you can get to those numbers if you have zero controls and you do nothing. And we know that every American is doing something. So CNN cut away from this. CNN got away from that because they you know, what do you mean, don't panic? Come out, that's our whole business model. It's like, cut, 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 cut her off. She's not making people hopeful. Don't let that happen. So if, if indeed it's time for panic, if, if indeed, uh, you know, the economy has to shut down forever, then the only reason Donald Trump could be doing this is because some insidious reason. So, so think about that. If you're sitting in a room full of people who agree with you, in a media, in an industry full of people who agree with you, and gone to college, taught by people who agree with them, and you watch entertainment and the movie stars and they agree with you, why you must know you must know that Donald Trump is a monster. He's you know it. It's not like it's not an opinion. It's a fact to you that Donald Trump is a monster. The only reason he could have for wanting to open things up again is for his own personal uh, gain so that it'll be helpful in an election. And a reporter went after him at the briefing and said, are you just doing this for the election? And he went right back at her, which, as we know, is his M.O. And it's an, a telling exchange. You said that the media wants the country to remain closed to hurt your no, no. I think the media, yeah, no, the media would like to see me do poorly in the election. I think, so I think, lawmakers and economists I think both that, sides of the aisle have said that reopening the country by Easter is not a good idea. What is that plan based on? Just so you understand, are you ready? I think there are certain people that would like it not to open so quickly. I think there are certain people that would like it to do financially poorly because they think that would be very good as far as defeating me at the polls and. I don't know if that's so, but I do think it's so that a lot of that there are people in your profession that would like that to happen. I think it's very clear. I think it's very clear that there are people in your profession that write fake news. You do. She does. There are people in your profession that write fake news. They would love to see me for whatever reason, because we've done one hell of a job. Nobody's done the job that we've done. And it's lucky that you have this group here right now for this problem, or you wouldn't even have a country left. It <laughs> was brutal. It was brutal. And, you know, like I'm a guy who would like to see the president not have to stoop to that, who'd like to see the president not have to beat up the press like that. But it, and he wouldn't have to beat up the press like that if they weren't so bad if they weren't so corrupt. They are so incredibly corrupt and they don't know they're corrupt. You know, there's an exchange with Wolf Blitzer. I don't know, there's cut two or three. Uh, Wolf Blitzer had uh, with one of his commentators. It's just very telling. It's just worth watching this for a sec. You did hear uh, during the course of the president's statement, his response to the questions, uh, he went after the usual suspects, including the news media. Yeah. 
Yeah, he went after the news media, making uh, the point that, uh, you know, we'd like to see him do poorly in the election. And so we're rooting against him in this crisis. And that's so ridiculous. We should almost not even dignify it, uh, honestly. <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. <laughs> you know, she says it's ridiculous. I like Wolf Blitzer saying the usual suspects. This is the thing. First of all, the phrase the usual suspects, round up the usual suspects, is when they round up the criminals, right? The press are the usual suspects because they're the bad guys. They are the bad guys. And the, and the thing about this is, I keep saying this, when you have a corrupt system, when the system that you're in is corrupt, when it's, and, and the new system is ideologically corrupt, it's ideologically corrupt because they're not hiring the, enough people who disagree that they can cover the news fairly. You cannot cover the news fairly surrounded by people who agree with you. It can't be done. They keep saying it can. I can be a Democrat and be fair. You can, as long as the guy next to you is a Republican. Then that will make you fair, okay? So, so th when you're in a corrupt system, you don't have to be a bad person to be corrupt. You don't have to be a bad person to be corrupt. If you work in Nazi Germany and you work for the government in Nazi Germany, you're going to be corrupt. You're going to be a bad guy. You may be a lovely person. You may be nice to your wife. You may be nice to your children. You may pat your dog. You may call your mother on Sunday. It doesn't matter. You are in a system that is doing something bad, right? That's why that movie Downfall is so terrific. It shows you people acting honorably and within a system that turns their honor into evil. Well, you know, no, nobody's going to compare the American press to the Nazis, but it is a corrupt system. It's an ideologically corrupt system. It is based on an idea that is inherently corrupt. When you go to work at the New York Times, you're probably a nice person. You're probably, you know, lovely to the people around you. You probably, you know, dress nicely and take care of yourself and, you know, and think, wow, I'm a good guy. But you're going into a, a newspaper that has become corrupt, a newspaper where the editor has to fend off protests by 20-year-olds who don't know anything about anything is corrupt. A newspaper that is just has used this crisis just to continue its attacks on Donald Trump is corrupt. And so, you know, they, they have that smirk on their faces all the time. Oh, you think we're evil. Not quite. That's not quite it. I think you're in a corrupt system. You know it's a corrupt system because there are 64 million people who voted for Donald Trump and not one of them works for your newspaper in a position of power. That's how you know that your system is corrupt when nobody who disagrees with you is in a position of power. Now, again, you know, a lot of the clips that they put out uh, to attack the press are from MSNBC, and I don't use a lot of those clips. I only use them when they illustrate a point. I don't use those clips because MSNBC is not being corrupt, except in the MSDNC, except in the fact that it bleeds back and forth into NBC. There's simply no difference between the Chuck Todd who appears on MSNBC and the Chuck Todd who appears on NBC. That's the problem. If Fox News, if Fox News and CBS were the same network, that would be a problem. But MSNBC is an openly left wing organ. And I've ne it's never bothered me that they have Rachel Maddow putting her opinions out there because she has the right to express her opinions and the people who agree with her have the right to see her. The people who agree with me, the people who agree with you and me, have the right to be entertained at night by comedians. They have that, you know, I'm not saying it's a right like, you know, the right to bear arms, but just in a normal, non-corrupt world, in a normal, non-corrupt industry, they have a right to hear jokes about the people they think are absurd, not just have Stephen Colbert come on and scream at the people they like and their heroes and their, and their candidates. They have, you know, we have a right to hear different voices and we don't. And that system has destroyed 
our relationships, our relationships with our liberal friends so that they think we're evil and we can't have a conversation with them and has destroyed the Democrats' relationship with the voters because they don't know what the voters are thinking anymore. They've just got polls and not talking to anybody. And it's destroyed our relationship as a country where we can that where we can can't discuss things anymore because we just are so separated from one another. There is a sane conversation to be had between the right and the left. There is a sane way for people to talk to one another. And we have lost that. We have lost that way completely because of the press. Now, let, let me tell you about Stamps.com. Stamps.com, which is great. You know, Stamps.com, the, the Daily Wire is such a young company. Uh, we should have one of those brass plaques, you know, in business since 20, what is it, 15, 16, something like that. But for three years, which is almost all of the time we've been here, we've been using Stamps.com because it just makes your life so much easier. Stamps.com puts all the great services of the postal service in your computer, right? Stamps.com means you don't have to drive to the post office. You don't have to wait online. You don't have to do any of those things, but you get the great services from the uh, post office 24-7. You can print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anytime you want, uh, and then just put it out there and let the the mailman come and get it. And you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off USPS shipping rates. And now, this is cool, right? In addition to offering discounted U.S. Postal Service rates, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62%. Plus, with Stamps.com, you won't even have to pay UPS residential surcharges. So now they're working with UPS. It's a really good service. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Claven. That's stamps.com. Enter stamps.com and enter Claven. Stay safe, my friends, and learn how to spell Claven. You're going to need to know how to spell Clavin. All right. We got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come over to dailywire.com. Don't forget all access live tonight at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. I will be there. Please come on and please talk to me because I love hearing from you. Uh, And come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe so you can do that. So, this is how, you know, the, the, when you get, have the press surrounding you, people agree with you. When you have that, that system that's in place, it, is really, it really has damaged the Democrat Party. I, I seriously believe, look, I can't predict the future, but I think they are being damaged right now. I think Nancy Pelosi has been damaged. Like I said, she's, I, I don't like her. I don't agree with her. She's a talented politician. She has been caught out a number of times. I think the impeachment was obviously a time she was caught out. I mean, look, you know, this this story has been so big. This coronavirus, Chinese virus has been so big that it has wiped the memory clean almost. You know, you forget about all the things that were happening. But this is and and the press, when you see that lady, uh, Gloria Borger, I think it was with Wolf Blitzer saying it's it's ridiculous that he could be thinking we want him to fail. She's actually saying that. She's actually saying that after three years of this Russia, Russia, Russia thing. And this is how you wind up with, you know, uh, a guy like Joe Biden in the driver's seat. This is how you wind up with Joe Biden uh, as your president, your presumptive uh, presidential candidate. 
the guy is just in such bad shape. And it was really, it's kind of sad at this point to watch him. I think everybody knows it's sad when you have the uh, Atlantic running that piece. I just love that piece. That I've been laughing about that piece all week where she was just saying, stay alive, Joe. We just need your corporeal presence. I actually, while I was reading that on the air, I had one of those mental glitches where I thought, is this one of my satires? And I just forgot I wrote it. <laughs> it was just so amazing. I mean, he's talking, we need some Biden clips. A day, is, a day without Biden clips is a day without sunshine and stupidity. Uh, but he was talking about this um, deal that's gone through, this $2 trillion deal uh, to bring relief to unemployed people, but also to bring relief to businesses in the stock exchange that, you know, they keep saying it's a slush fund. You know, by the way, the reason it's not a slush fund, they keep saying it's a slush fund for businesses. These are not businesses like uh, in 2008 that mishandled money. Right. These are businesses that were doing great. The government shut them down. It's the government action that has shut these businesses down. And so the government has to give them some relief. This is not like 2008, where businesses were just like, yeah, we'll sell this mortgage here to all these guys. And yeah, we're giving these loans and then we're going to sell them out in the stock market. No. And then, oh, please bail us out. Please. Bail. No, that's different. That is different. These were businesses that were doing terrific. They were doing great until this crisis came and had to be shut down. And the other thing, too, is be, some of conservatives online are a little quick to declare that it's martial law and our rights are being taken away. Look, it is an emergency. It is an emergency. The emergency may not be the number of deaths. Let us hope. Let us hope it's not the number of deaths. The emergency is that is the hospitals will be overwhelmed. That's the emergency. That's what they're trying to prevent. That's what the staying in place is about. And the thing about the hospitals is there has to be at least one place open in case I get sick. Because we the, the main thing, the whole point of this, the entire point of this is A, to give me more time to write my book and B, B to make sure that we save the Claven and I survive. Because as I keep telling you, other people can be brought back to life because they they just exist in my imagination. But I'm a real human being. And if I die, everything's over. So that, that's why we want to save the Claven. What's Joe Biden's response to the uh, $2 trillion deal, which is just filled with pork? And again, so many people who talk about politics don't get politics. Any bill that's going to come out in this moment is going to be filled with pork. They just try to keep it down to a minimum, try not to make it absurd, like giving money to the Kennedy Center. However, Biden knows what should be done. This is cut number 12. We're going to have an opportunity, I believe, in the next round here to use the my uh, green economy, my my green deal or to be able to generate both economic growth and consistent with the kind of infusion of monies we need into the system to keep it going. One of the ways to make sure these jobs are available that may get lost or hurt in the meantime is to provide the kind of jobs that are prevailing wages where people are making $45, $50 an hour plus benefits by building new infrastructure. So this is what we need, the Green New Deal. We need the, the Green. That's that is what, you know, that's why the virus happened. It was because the sun, you know, you know how the sun has is really a guy, a big guy with arrows and he shoots. Never mind. I, you know, my, my favorite line from Biden, I, I just play this stuff to amuse myself, but I hope it amuses you as well, uh, where he was talking about how we could snap back uh, from World War Two, where I think I think he must have uh, fought in World War. He was in both World War One and World War Two, I think. And he says we bounce back. And here's here's. Here was this quote, cut 14. The reason why most of the world has repaired to us, particularly after World War II, is because of who we are as a nation. We, the people, we hold these truths, etc. 
Sounds corny, <laughs> but it's real. And that's why, the, no, but that's why the vast majority of the nations have followed us. <laughs> you know the thing. You know the thing. Anyway, you know, I'm going to end for, since this is uh, my last show of the week, I'm going to end uh, with just talking about some ways to entertain yourself. Uh, you know, if you've been waiting for uh, a moment like this to read some of the big classic novels, anybody can tell you uh, what will entertain you. Anybody can tell you, you know, what they think is entertaining. People, di- people have different opinions about entertainment. Some people like science fiction, some people like mysteries, spy novels, whatever. You know, you can choose that yourself. But there's some books that are great and that you shouldn't, you shouldn't not have read. Okay, and they're incredibly entertaining. And I used to do this on the show all the time, and I decided people weren't listening. But now maybe you're locked at home. Uh, maybe you want something to read. Maybe you want to read something to your spouse, which is great, by the way. My wife and I have done that, and it's a wonderful, uh, entertaining way to be together without sitting and staring at a TV. If you've never read David Copperfield by Charles Dickens, you should read David Copperfield. First of all, it is one of the most, it's a sprawling novel. It must be 800 pages uh, in, a, in its usual print. Uh, but it's a sprawling novel, but it is one of the most entertaining and moving books ever written. It is one of only two or three books that I have ever had to put down in order to bury my face in my hands because I was so overcome with emotion reading it. It is a beautiful, beautiful novel. You'll notice that the initials of David Copperfield or Charles Dickens' initials uh, transposed, and uh, he himself said it was about him in some way. Uh, It's a, a novel that's obviously incredibly heartfelt. It's the, the characters that Dickens creates, no one else has ever done it. I mean, there are people who have done it once or twice. Like, for instance, Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes is an indelible character. Once he created him, he was here forever. He will always be part of the Western imagination. Dickens did it again and again and again. And he did it in this novel again and again and again. There are characters here you will simply never forget. It is a book that you could read to your older children as well. Uh, you know, if they're if they're mature 11, 12-year-olds, I think they'll get it. Uh, it is so beautiful and so moving and gives you just a, it gives you uh, early Victorian England in just this sprawling, sprawling epic picture. Another book that a lot of people are afraid to read because it's become a byword for long, heavy books that are hard to read is War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, one of the most entertaining books. It is like reading a comic book. In the book, as it goes on, there are interspersed philosophical chapters, which you have my permission to skip. Uh, His philosophy is that individuals don't really govern history, uh, that history throws up the individuals it needs. I think that philosophy is ridiculous. I actually think it was Tolstoy trying to explain why Napoleon uh, conquered the imagination of Europe, including the Russians, even though he was invading them, why people looked up to and admired Napoleon. He didn't want to say this was a great man in some sense, not a not a good man, but a great figure. Uh, and he didn't want to say that, so he made this kind of philosophy up uh, that would excuse uh, excuse the fact that Russians were so enamored of Napoleon, even though he invaded them. However, the story itself, again, just a sprawling, beautiful, romantic, violent story with so many characters that are so great. Uh, the lead character, Andre, is great. Pierre is great. I mean, it's just like uh, unbelievable characters that, again, you will never forget once you meet them. And it's just it's just riveting. And like I said, you can skip over or skim the philosophical chapters. There are too many of them in there. But it is a beautiful, beautiful book. I, I think it's like 1,400 pages. It's really huge. And another long one uh, is East of Eden by John Steinbeck, an American novel, which is just as good as it's possible for a book to get. It is like eating a gigantic cake. I can't even tell you what it's about because it's another, um, it's about these two brothers essentially, but it is just a family uh, drama with one of the most 
fascinating female characters in all of fiction. Uh, and because it's American, it may be a little bit more approachable. Uh, you'll know the people and you'll know the places uh, more. Great stuff. And again, if you if you like poetry, the guys to look at, I think, are the English ro- uh, romantics. Wordsworth, Keats, Byron, and Shelley. Uh, they are the guys who you're going to connect with, I think, immediately. They will teach you what beauty means in language because they use the language as no one has before since. More approachable than Shakespeare. But just stuff you might want to read as you're hunkering down. And especially now, you know, you thought the plague was bad, but now the Clavenless weekend is upon you. Uh, and uh, so it, things are going to get uh, pretty, pretty tight and uh, you'll want to have something, something to read. A final, uh, a final reflection. I want, there is one thing also important that you'll want to entertain yourself with. And that is, of course, uh, your own flesh. Uh, <laughs> New York, New York City, uh, New York City, I think it was, put out sex guidelines for how to operate during the uh, flu crisis. And one said, you are your safest sex partner. And I tweeted that anyone who thinks I'm my safest sex partner hasn't slept with me. Somebody tweeted back, I don't like your sense of humor. And my feeling is, don't laugh if you don't like my sense of humor. But that, but you know, it, just the New York Times has to say, uh, you ran a uh, an op-ed, you are your safest sex partner. Betty Dodson wants to help. And Betty Dodson, it turns out, is someone who can counsel you on how to pleasure yourself. So that is what the New York Times is running. It starts with a long description of Gwyneth Paltrow uh, being given instructions on how to pleasure herself, which I have to say is kind of a turn on. But, but I think it's wonderful to know that this is what the press is doing. I started talking out. I started talking about how the press is contained around people who uh, agree with them. It is surrounded by people who agree with them. It has made them corrupt. Now we know why they are essentially uh, committing a masturbatory act of journalism. For the rest of you, uh, find other things to do. If you're in there with your spouse, find ways to make him or her happy. That would be a much better way to spend your time. And if you make it through the Clavenless Weekend, which, let's face it, the numbers are bad. The numbers from the Imperial College for getting through the Clavenless Weekend are almost intolerable. It's going to be worse than any of us can bear. But if you make it, I'll be back here on Monday. And if you're a subscriber, I'll be back at 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern for the All Access Live. I will see you on Monday. Otherwise, I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jessua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. The U.S. Senate passes a $2 trillion coronavirus relief package after days of intense debate. We will examine the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then, more good news on the scientific front of the pandemic, more fury from the mainstream media, and a major Me Too allegation against Joe Biden. We will analyze the evidence and the accuser. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.